Come on, Ben. You gonna answer that question? <laughs> Why don't you ask me that question? Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcasts at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric, E-R-I-K, dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Today on our podcast, myself, Pastor Ben, and Tim Thompson, our youth director, continue our conversation on the row. Today we're specifically talking about our worship services and how we worship here at New Life Lutheran Church. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. We're going to continue our conversation that we started last week about worship and about the row. And what I wanted to do, because I, I think that there's some confusion in, in our churches and confusion in the Christian life concerning why we do the things that we do. So we talked about the row, the table, and the chair at 30,000 feet. And I want to talk about now the row at like, I want to float right above it and hover over our worship services um, for as long as it takes for us to talk about them and exhaust them. So I just want to start off by asking the question, and Pastor Ben, you're probably going to be the lead on this conversation, uh, about how we worship here at New Life and why we worship that way. And then we're just going to walk through and dissect all the different elements of our worship services. And probably we're going to focus on what makes them similar, not what makes them different. Uh, But first, Pastor Ben, can you just kind of give us an overview of the three services we have on a weekend, how they differ, why they differ, and then we'll just go from there, then zooming in on each element of the worship service. Yeah, we offer three different services at New Life, and, and the idea behind it is pretty simple. The more service styles, the wider net you throw, the more people you can impact, and that's our goal, is to influence and transform our world for Christ. And so the easiest way to do that is to throw out the widest net and connect people. So at this point in time, we have three different services with three unique styles that impact three different groups of people, more or less. And if we could do more, if we had the staff to do more, if we had the time and resources to do more, we would do more if it necessitated that, because that's just a good plan for reaching out to people, and we're willing to do anything it takes to reach people for Christ. But the three we have right now, we have on Saturday, is our our evening service. It happens at 6 o'clock, and it's our casual service. And it typically was just called Saturday before that, but I wanted to add that nomenclature on there, just so people knew what they were walking into, and it wasn't a surprise. So our Saturday service is, is led typically by one person, who leads by guitar, we sing at least one hymn, and we typically sing at least one contemporary song. During communion, we also sing um, a more reflective song as well, but it's always led by one vocalist and one guitar at this point in time, and they lead us into that more casual setting. Sometimes I'll refer to it with people, I'll refer to it like a coffee shop setting. If you have gone to a coffee shop and there's a musician in the corner, typically it's just a guy, his guitar, and he's singing, and it's more of a, a quiet setting, casual setting, and that's what we're really producing on Saturday. 
all the elements, the classical elements of the of the Lutheran practice of worship are there, but we're really just creating that more casual vibe with that music style, kind of driving that. Our traditional service is your your classic traditional Lutheran service, and if you grew up in a Lutheran church, you're probably pretty familiar with it. And we use the Lutheran Book of Worship to drive that service, and so we just fall right through, like many churches. And so many Lutheran churches that do traditional worship, specifically in the LCMC, would feel would feel very similar to ours. And so the beauty of that is, all around our nation, people walk in and they'll have some of those common experiences, and they'll feel comfortable right away because that's what they're used to. But for the people that that doesn't work for and Saturday doesn't work for, we also have a contemporary service, which of course retains all those classical Lutheran elements that we feel are best practices of the church. But we try to be honest with our title. We try to be contemporary in the way we experience and express our worship. And so we want to sing the songs that are on the radio that people are hearing or are just about to hear that are kind of breaking into mainstream worship. And we want to use that as a a tool and a catalyst to best help the people that that reflects and connects with to move them closer to the throne of Christ so they can worship in a powerful way. So we offer three different styles. Like I said, we would offer more if we felt that we needed to or it best reflect our community. And we always want to be able to, to use those styles and those new forms of worship along with the great classical movements of the church to retain those so we can best impact our community. And once again, we said this last podcast, but we have to be willing to sacrifice our hopes and desires to best reflect and impact our community for Christ. And if we're willing to do that, I believe that we can cast a great big net and catch a lot of fish for God's glory. All right. Thank you, Pastor Ben. So then now what I want to do, and and we're all in agreement here, although we all come from a little bit different backgrounds and we all have our own preferences and styles when it comes to music in the worship service, we're just going to just table that conversation because we're in agreement as a pastoral staff that music is not the summit and end of Christian worship and music is not the summit, the summit and end of our experience as Christians. So music styles change, they vary, that's fine. So we're not going to talk about the different music choices that we make. But I want to talk about the, um, Ben, as you call them, the classical Lutheran worship elements, which I think we could even broaden even more because they're not just Lutheran, but they really are. They're universal, that they're throughout the world. People were worshiping certain ways, and really until fairly recently, those ways have changed and the, the kind of classical elements have changed. So let's just walk through, Pastor Ben, what those classical elements are in the worship service. So can you just walk through and just number them and name them, and, uh, and then we'll have have conversation from there. Well, if you just work through the service, all of these elements are reflected in every one of our, our worship services. And I would say this is true of our church, but it's not true of every LCMC church. And so if you visit a different LCMC church around. This might not be true of them. I honestly feel, and, and this is just my opinion, my heart is that's unfortunate because I believe these elements are really very positive, really universal, and they should be utilized for not only God's glory, but for our own benefit. And so because of that, we have retained those in even our most contemporary settings. We bring them in. 
we, we change how we do them a little bit to add a little bit different flair to make sense in that service, but we always have the elements of confession and forgiveness. We have the Lord's Prayer. Of course, we partake in the sacrament. We also have the creed, and we also have a time of prayer. And in all of those elements, those are, are connected to every one of our services, along with, of course, a time for a sermon and scripture reading and those elements. Now, after those things, every one of those things reflect in our services, but then we just put in different musical styles to best highlight and impact the people that are at that unique service and the unique people that are in our culture that God has allowed us to have the opportunity to influence. So we wanted to keep and retain all of those practices in every one of our services. And like I said, that might not be true of every LCMC church, but I wish it was because I think sometimes what happens is we, when we think of contemporary, we think of the mega church down the road, which typically is going to be an evangelical church of some capacity or, or like a Baptist church in some capacity. And they only really have a few elements. They have worship, they have the sermon, and, and they take an offering, which of course we still take an offering and have a space for that. But beyond that, that's it. And I think uh, along the way, in their kind of disposition towards the Roman Catholic Church, they said, anything that the Catholic Church did, we just aren't going to emulate in any way. And they lost some of those best practices that we have, like I said in the first podcast, that we have decided to keep because they are, are a benefit to our community and a benefit to our people. And we believe they still offer value. And so we want our people to utilize them for God's glory. We want our kids, our church members, to be able to recite the creed and the Lord's Prayer and these things. So in their time of need, they have those tools in their pocket so they can best connect with God wherever wherever they are at. All right, so let's just start off, guys, with confession. We'll just walk right through our service, highlight those common elements, those classical Christian elements, and we'll discuss them. So the first one that we do, we start every worship service with confession and forgiveness. And we use the brief word of confession found in the Lutheran Book of Worship. Uh, Generally, it'll be familiar to most Lutherans. And the order of confession we use has some sort of invitation, first of all, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we start off and we, we... call on the name of God, and when we start our service. And then we have a prayer. We have some sort of prayer asking God to prepare our hearts. The brief word of confession has one scripture passage. I believe it's from one of the one of the letters of John. And it says that if anyone says they have no sin, they deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. So we hear that scripture proclaimed to us that we all sin. We confess our sins. And then we uh, hear the, really the gospel that God forgives us because of Jesus Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ. He forgives us after we confess our sin. So for you guys, I first of all just want to ask the question just personally, when you go through that that confession time, what goes through your head? What goes through your heart? How do you process that time? So as a person who did not grow up Lutheran um, or Catholic, when I first ran into confession, uh, and our, my first confession forgiveness was when I had first attended New Life and became the youth director here, um, I slowly but surely started to um, really take it seriously. And the reason I say that is because the Baptist community uh, and, and the United Methodist community, uh, kind of where, where I came from, we do what's called altar calls. And altar calls are this thing that basically you do at the end of at the end of each service, and you say 
you welcome people to God's table. You welcome people to um, to try to make a decision to become a believer or not. And so I was really that's just my background and how I kind of came uh, into new life. And so when we didn't do that and we did confession forgiveness, I realized it was basically doing the same thing without saying, oh, you have to repeat this prayer after me. Um, and you are instead confessing all your sins, all your shortcomings. And we have to remember that sins aren't just what you do. So sin isn't just something that say like you lie or you steal or you cheat. That's, it's also when you, what you don't do. So if you see a person in need and you don't help them, or if you're sitting at school, um, for youth and, you see a person sitting alone by themselves or you see someone being bullied and yet you do nothing. That is also sin. So when we lay all those down and we confess all of our sins and all our shortcomings before God, that's, I think, even a more effective way um, of an altar call. And so you lay all those burdens, you lay all your sins down before the feet of God. And a way that I that that really impacts me is because I know I had sin and I know I disobey God every single week, every single day. Um, and so that just gives me a time to reflect and to uh, apologize and to uh, just get my mind back centered to where it needs to be um, and not focus on my sins, but focus on Jesus. And so uh, that opportunity, that space gives me that opportunity. And so I've come to uh, take it more serious as I've uh, each each and every week I've been here. Um, so when I first got here, it was just uh, I, I didn't really uh, understand why we, you know, use the same words or did the same. I, I wasn't a fan of written down prayers, basically. And but what that gives us an opportunity to do is people who have never had the opportunity to confess their sins, people who have never had or who people who don't know what to say to God, that gives them a perfect opportunity to do that. And it says, this is a way to say that. And so I would just encourage people to, as we go into our time and as we start each service with confession and forgiveness, to really reflect on that and really to appreciate that. Yeah, we have this at every one of our services. We do approach it somewhat differently. In our, in our first service, I would say it's a little bit more rote. In our second service, it can be a little bit more emotive. And maybe sometimes Saturday can have that same kind of Vibe, but the the goal is the same, and I do think Tim is right. It's it's twofold for us who are in Christ. We are we are called the bride of Christ, and anyone who's married or anyone who has any relationship in their life, you know that you can do damage to that relationship, and you can say something or not say something or act in a way or not act in a way that does damage to that relationship. And so, for believers, we enter into this time of confession and forgiveness with our spouse you know, our, our groom, and we know we've done stuff to harm that relationship. It doesn't mean that we're not in relationship. It just means there's some things that if we have an open and honest conversation, that it actually creates a, a movement forward in our relationship. And so as I personally sit there when I'm not actually facilitating the confession of forgiveness, I try to let my mind drift to the past week. And really, when I say the words about my sins and, and my shortcomings, I actually try to visualize and think of my sins and shortcomings and lay them at the foot of the cross. There's nothing magical about the words we say, but we just have that space up there for people as a tool to move them forward in that conversation. So sometimes even before we do it, I will say, 
if you just want to sit quietly and have a, a private conversation with God, that's fine. But if you want to use these words as a tool, use these words with us. And at the end, we do share the good news of Christ. So I think the, f- the first layer is this is for believers. The second layer is exactly what Tim said is imagine coming into a church. We call it the row, right? So we want to open up the doors as wide as possible. You invite someone to church and maybe for the first time, they even come to grips with the reality that they have fallen short of God's glory. And because they've fallen short of God's glory, it's damaged that relationship or that there's even a potential of a relationship. And it might be that moment that for the first time, the Holy Spirit acts and they, and they start receiving the promises of God because they're sitting there and the truth is coming into their hearts and they're being receptive and they're not rejecting it. And all of a sudden, they are literally confessing their sins for the first time to a God that now they know loves them and cares for them. And then at the end, we share the good news, that they are forgiven on account of what Christ has done for them. And so it's a beautiful way to begin every one of our services because it already starts that restorative process, and then we go in to worship, and and then we go in to hear the Word, and then we just kind of clear our plates, get rid of all that stuff that could hinder us, and then we're going to enter in and, and continue to receive from God and praise God all throughout our service. I want to respond or expand on what both of you guys said. The first one has been that I think that you really nailed it on the head, that there's different experiences for different people on different weeks. So any one week when I go into that confession of forgiveness time, that is not the same experience every time I I hear that, or even every every time I say that, um, or lead the congregation in that. Because sometimes there are definite specific things that I've done or that I haven't done that are weighing on my heart, and I dwell on one or two things that are really bothering my conscience. And then to hear that forgiveness at the end... um, really is kind of a release from from the the conscience, you know what I mean? Um, to, to hear that God forgives me and to play all of those scriptures in my head from the Psalms that God sends iniquity from the east, from the east to the west, that they don't touch. So that sometimes it's very specific. There are conversations that I've had or things that I've experienced that are weighing on me. And to go before God and give that over to him eases my conscience and makes me feel better. Um and it releases me to worship him better. Um, and sometimes it's it's very general. Sometimes it's just recognizing that I don't have it all together, and um, and that I am not I'm not the ultimate end of my life. And I think that some of the conversation going on in, in the Christian world right now in the United States reflects that. Oftentimes we think that we are the end of of our life. That we are the ultimate thing in our life, and our our feelings and our opinions, um, our emotions are the ultimate thing that do- dominates our life. And so, to start every single worship service with just this like bare knuckled punch to the face that I do not have it all together, and you do not have it all together, and we all recognize that, and we all put that before God. Um, I think that's really powerful, and actually is is what attracted me to the Lutheran tradition was their emphasis on confession. And personal confession has been powerful in my life, and corporate confession has been powerful in my life. And so I love that we do that. I love that we start our services with that. Um, and it's what it kind of is what made me want to become a Lutheran, is that emphasis on this this emptying of the self and then taking on the the promises, the promises of Christ. But with that, uh, Tim, you mentioned that um, you weren't super comfortable with with rope prayers when you first came here, and 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 there was a time I think I was there I was there too, 
um, at one point. Uh, but the way that I like to think about it, and and I guess our listeners, this might be beneficial, um, maybe for you guys more than for us in this room, because we've all come to appreciate appreciate rope prayers. Uh, but I like to think about it as as rope prayers just give us a vocabulary with which to use when we pray. So so saying the same prayer every week, um, most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. That's the confession prayer. And by doing it every week and memorizing it, it gives me vocabulary then to confess my sins to God um, on my own time and in my own prayers. And sometimes my prayers um, don't sound at all like that, but I'll borrow those words or it gives me the categories with which to pray. So, you know, Tim, you mentioned that it's not just what we, sin isn't just what we've done, but it's actually what we should have done and we didn't do. And so that prayer that we say every week can help. It's actually like a teaching tool that it can help people realize, oh, there are things that I haven't done that I should have. And that is also sin. That's also not good. It's a way for us to learn how to, how to pray well, even if we don't say that same prayer every day. So as, you, as we approach confession and forgiveness, we always begin by saying in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we confess in the, in the triune God. That's who we're, we're trusting in his mercies as we approach confession and forgiveness. And one of the practices that you've probably seen in a movie or maybe in person, or for me, it was, it was growing up and watching a guy called Kirby Puckett, who was a, the twin center fielder, who apparently was a Catholic guy. And, and so every time he, before he batted, he would do the sign of the cross. And so it was kind of this good luck deal that he, I think he did. I don't know. I can't test his motives, but I, I believe it was kind of like a good luck movement. Like God bless me as I try to hit this, this baseball coming at 105 miles an hour. So even as like little league, we would do that. And it was more of like a good luck or in jest or a, a modeling that was set before us by some of our superhero sports stars. But we do it before the service. And to be, to be honest, because it hasn't been my practice in life, and it really hasn't been my practice even in other Lutheran churches, so it's not like not like it's necessarily across the whole landscape of Lutheranism. And making the sign of the cross can look a little bit strange to people as they come in, or a little bit confusing, even to lifelong Lutherans if they've never practiced it. Obviously, for our Catholic brothers and sisters who join us at New Life, it's very normal and very comforting. Uh, but sometimes it can... It can have a polarizing effect. Anything can have a polarizing effect if you don't understand what's happening and you're pouring in your own definition or your own thoughts into it. So I'm going to have Pastor Eric actually kind of clarify why we do that, why is that significant, and why should it not be something that's polarizing, but something that's actually beneficial in your faith journey. Yeah, well, I'd say, first off, um, I would just kind of clear the air and say that I don't... I don't think it's something that that should be uh, legislated in in our worship. So I don't think that you're going to lose the essence of worship by not signing the cross over your body, which is you touch your you touch your forehead and then your chest, and then you move to the, from the left side to the right side. You touch your shoulders, um, and it makes the sign of the cross over your over your body. There's a couple things going on um, there, and the first one is. It's something that the charismatic church actually does pretty well, and that is um, when we do things with our body during worship, it's it's helpful. So in a charismatic setting, it would be raising your hands above your head when you worship, dancing, clapping, some of those things um, are helpful in our worship service, and it gets your body involved 
in the worship service, which is actually why I think that worship that that's that music is so important during the worship service is because it's you're getting your lungs and your vocal cords and your body involved in the praise of God. And so there's just something, and, and Christians recognize this, and I think humans recognize this, um, the things that we do with our body is important, and the habits that we form in our body is important. And so the sign of the cross is a way of using, using our body to worship and using a physical reminder that we are gods and that we are Christ's. So the sign of the cross, um, and there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of superstition around it and, and a lot of things, especially in the medieval church, that I don't think is, is helpful. And, and I think that we all have seen the cliche or know of it um, in movies or other media where it's just like this, the uneducated, superstitious person, when they come into something that's kind of scary, they sign themselves with a cross several times and they, you know, whatever. But it's a physical reminder that we are Jesus's. So when we start off our worship service, we start it by signing the cross over ourselves on our bodies, by using our bodies as a physical reminder that we are in Christ and that we are we are Christ. We are owned by him. Um, so it's marked on us. And uh, and this is maybe even uh, better reflected in in how this one specific Catholic practice, so they have the, the holy water when you enter into the, the, the church, the, um, the church buildings. And what, you know, we don't, we don't need to talk about holy water, but as you walk into the sanctuary, into the worship space, there's water, which reminds you of your baptism, and you dip your finger into the water, which is a physical reminder of your baptism, and then you sign yourself with the cross that you are Christ's. And, and also with that is that when someone is baptized, they're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we'd make the sign of the cross on the person's forehead with oil, and that is um, the Holy Spirit. That is a representation of the Holy Spirit. They are being anointed by the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Holy Spirit at that time. So when we make the sign of the cross, it reminds us of that. That it reminds us of our baptism. It reminds us that we are in Christ, um, and, it, and it serves those purposes. So it's all this kind of, it's meant to be a visceral reminder of that you are Christ, that you belong to Christ, that you are in him. And it, I don't believe it's helpful if you don't know why you're doing it. Um, because what's the point of doing something with your body, some action with your body, if you don't understand what benefit you're, you're getting from it? So that's why... Um, in the journey classes, I actually talk about the sign of the cross and talk about some of the physical things that we do, um, like standing up, like singing, and, and the sign of the cross, that we have these kind of physical reminders um, of, of our faith. And so it's beneficial um, if you use it. If you don't use it, I don't think it's a big deal. Um, but that's, that's kind of the purpose of it, is uh, to remind us that we are Christ's, to kind of center ourselves on that. Um, Martin Luther, he really liked it. And he, in fact, he said, every morning when you wake up, Make the sign of your cross over your body, recite the Apostles' Creed, and recite the Lord's Prayer. He says, before you get out of bed, do those things. So I guess it's helpful for our listeners if they don't know why we do that. Um, that's why. And I, I enjoy, I've been practicing that for a long time. Um, and it's something that's kind of, that's important to me and my own, my own faith. 